Greetings ladies and managers and welcome to this latest narration of the web series The Nature of Predators. If you are new to the series there is a playlist listed down below in the description and as always I hope that you enjoy. Chapter 164 Memory Transcription Subject Captain Sovereign United Nations Fleet Command Date Standardized Human Time March 24th 2137 The crewed vessels of the Terran fleet advanced on Carter where the unlikely Commonwealth's Dominion Alliance waited. On a separate course, UN drones and Yodel Technocracy ships were flushing the Shadow Fleet out from the system's asteroid belt. Their band had been saddled with Ulthus, since their particle beams allowed them to match his aggression. I was hopeful that the Chief Hunter's ship would fall over the course of the battle, even if humanity didn't believe that that was the ideal outcome. However, the 50,000 dirty and shield vessels surging ahead towards the rocky world, which was somewhat similar to the use of Sol's Mars that I'd understood it, but could be a problem too. The avians couldn't afford to throw away their numbers, both for our sake and Kalpa's. We were a seed's flight away from Arfa after soaring through the moderate resistance near the gas giants. More vessels were amassed by Carter, but the bulk of the enemy fleet was anticipating our eventual arrival at the Kolshun homeworld. Their hope was to whittle us down along the way, despite how that knocked tens of thousands of ships from their half of a million strong tally. The Terrans needed a full docket of information for the upcoming engagement to stave off any traps or devious intentions. I surveyed the ships with interest, trying to gauge what their strategy would be for engaging the hostiles. With the hulls packed into our ranks, it was then I noticed the strange anomaly in the nearest scans. I've noticed something unusual about these vessels, compared to the standard dirty and make, I piped up. It's as if they've stapled some, some mix and match storage bays at the bottom of their ships, High amounts of mass concentration there, too. Anzo tilted his head. Were they trying to turn standard warships into bombers? The mass distribution is congruent with what I'd expect for a few standard antimatter missiles, typically used in extermination fleets. Samantha's eyes narrowed. Like the extermination fleet that came to Earth? Or to Kalkwa. Even if they didn't go by that moniker, I'll note that there is some variance between Karo-Cattle technologies seen on Earth and the multi-tube bombers specialized to colony foundation, and the Dirtians rather antiquated technology. The blast radius of their bombs is limited by how inefficient their subatomic collision mechanisms. I jab my claw at the yodel. You don't need to hijack my observations by regurgitating science textbooks. Stop trying to prove your intelligence through rote memorization. I am providing insight into the destructive capability of different species weapons technologies. Welchy forbid, I find it interesting. Here's some fucking insight. Any antimatter bomb can flatten a city, but the Dirtians' warheads don't have quite the same reach as the others when they blow up. Isn't that simpler? Simpler isn't always better, Sovlin. You just don't want a primitive to know anything more than you. If I was a human, you'd gush about my intelligence. Well, who'd expect a predator to behave that way? The bar is lower for them. Um, uh, no offense. The humans just tend to have very specific interests, like how Tyler likes murdering fish and shooting things in stimulated games. Tyler scowled at me. I have other interests. Sorry that I can't gush about philosophy and zoology like Marcel. You two need to quit your bickering, especially at a time like this, and conduct yourselves with proper discipline. Am I understood? Yeah, sir, I grumbled as the yodel said nothing. I think you got the point buried in there. Despite his excessive information, Anzo is right about the dirty and strapping themselves with as many roughshod bombs as they could. Carlos's brown irises darkened. Do you think they intend to bomb officer? I think so. 
I also don't see how humanity could stop them without throwing ourselves into the Colchian's tentacles. So we should cross that bridge if we get there. For all we know, the shield fell out as in panics at Kato, Tyler answered. I chewed at my claws. But you said you thought they'd fight better because of their desperation, sir. I said they might. I don't think it does any fucking good to raise tensions before we can even get to Arthur. Because after seeing that they tape bombs to their bellies, I'm certain they're off in their rockers with rage. Our orders are to destroy enemies posted in this area. Focus on that. If the humans didn't want to address the Dirtian's vindictive plans, then I was content not to dwell on the prospect of bonds. While the thought of innocents like Rissell getting caught up in the crossfire hounded me, the personal resentment in my heart yearned for the Colchians to suffer, as we all had. Our lives meant nothing to them, so my sympathy was a bit strained. The Yodel would be able to ignore the looming problem as well, given that his opinion was in favor of glassing Arthur. What was Anzo going to do? Beg the Terrans to stop the shield from completing his desired course of action. What we need is for the Dirtian to carry their weight in combat. The United Nations doesn't endorse or crave genocide, but I can't imagine that they'd be sacrificing human lives to protect Arthur. Carto's cratered surface was becoming more detailed on the viewport, with a few artificial lights enlarging as the hab modules had been installed. The settlements on the surface were cramped structures backed beneath the translucent dome, relying heavily on electrolysis or recycled water to create oxygen. I could read up on such topics, just like Anza. The Dominion and Commonwealth hadn't struck defense positions tailored towards protecting Carto's orbital range, due to the negligible collateral on the surface. Both entities had a blatant disregard for sapient lives, so I suppose they deserved each other. More concerning was the fact that we barely had a numerical edge of our sixty-odd thousand encampment. Few manned ships remained in operation for the Terrans, so the bulk of our advance was fifty thousand Dirtian arrivals and sapient coalition survivors. There weren't enough of us to keep the shield in check, even if we meant to babysit them. It was a small relief that the Dirtian weren't charging in blind like Ilthus had. That said, at least there was a guarantee that the Arxel ships present that the birds could deal some damage in the attack. The Coalition and our revenge-seeking allies were huddling together, thronging towards the hostiles in a massive group. I wasn't sure what the avians were doing, but I still was worried about how the Terrans would handle an assault against civilians. Months ago, I could have never imagined that my main concern standing amongst the human crew would be that their mercy would cause quarrels with other powers. Well, that doesn't look like any bombing formation that I've ever seen. If this is a practice run for bombing, Arthur, you'd think that they'd be more spread out, I grumbled. Tyler crossed his arms, inspecting the viewport. The Sapient Coalition has tipped us off that they're planning to mob certain ships as one big cluster. To me, it looks more like a clusterfuck. Samantha chimed in. I'm inclined to think the same. They were using plenty of words related to herds and herbivores too. I don't know what the Dirtian fed the SC, but they lapped it up. What kind of military strategy is this? Do you have any ideas, Sovlin? Realization pinged in the recesses of my memory, triggered by those keywords. Were the Dirtian trying to employ prey strategies from nature against predator warships? I combed my brain for hunting safeguards in ancient Gojit history, which they taught about in evolutionary science class. The obvious factor for us was the spines, but the shield hadn't taped any bristles to their craft. Somehow, I doubted the efficacy of that defense mechanism when the beastly bite was from a white-hot plasma rather than teeth. 
This ploy seemed to center around safety in numbers, relying on the herd for protection. I think this is an attempt at communal defense, I posited with uncertainty. It's not unheard of for a herd animals to team up against predators. Also, clumping together as a herd makes it difficult for the predators to target any one prey creature. Tyler groaned. It also makes evasion impossible when your fleet is a giant target. Monza squinted at the sensor readout. Swarming might not be the only way that they can get kills in a calculated way. You saw how the Sapien Coalition performed as a proper military. At the very least, it won't be any strategy our enemy is expecting from us. So, it could surprise them. Like we did with Ilthus. We can use our ships to distract the Coalition Oxor team. I don't think it's just shooting at the enemy will be enough to distract them from the giant ball of incoming ships, Carlos pointed out. That's why you humans need to pull one of your crazy stunts, like a moving another miles wide moon? Also, that requires an upturn of planning and days-long acceleration in subspace. I know, but my point is I'm sure that you can repurpose something as a distraction. What do you expect them to do? Materialize an asteroid belt out round Cardo? I believed. Officer Cotona's icy eyes lit up with sinister delight. This distinct snore was an expression that played on a human's face when they had a diabolical idea. A wry proclamation of mischief. Nothing that would benefit an enemy's welfare ever followed from that predatory marker. It usually indicated that a Terran had dreamt up some novel way of killing or disrupting the natural order. For all their noble sensibilities, that was the expression of cruelty that lurked within them. Perhaps even the bloodlust they didn't believe they had. I shuddered to fathom what Tyler's latest idea might be, and felt my spines bristle from the elated malice radiating from his binocular gaze. It has been a long time since the humans triggered my instincts, even during combat or when they're killing others. Somehow, right now, I sense that it's justified to fear their creative capacity within the field of death. So the dirty and shield want to swarm the enemy. I think we can do that one better, the sandy-haired officer chuckled. Nanodrones! We still have plenty of them! Anzo's eyes also gleamed, unafraid of the scheming human. Instead of using them as tiny impacts, where they're unable to be shot down, we fashion them into locusts! Bingo! Despite the fact that I was at a loss, Samantha and Carlos both seemed to catch on to what the exchange pair were talking about. Officer Cadona stepped over to Cap and Monaghan, passing along his idea in hushed tones. I tried not to sulk that the nerdy marsupial always understood the Predators much better than me, a veteran starship captain who was supposed to be a brilliant strategist. What had the Yotal exchange program been like? If Onza was a proper indicator, their response to military innovation seemed to be, Wow! Cool! Weapons are awesome! We should play with these killing machines for our starships too! My attention turned to the viewport, not wanting to express my inadequacy by asking for more details. All I'd grasped was that the Terrans found a new use of their nanodrones, aside from the standard death by a thousand scratches. Given that Tyler selected the word swarm, I imagined that he had a larger scale plan for them. Hopefully, the Dirtian wouldn't be rubbed the wrong way by us springboarding off of their idea with a better version. It would take the onus off them, depending on how successful the distraction was. Human distractions tended to morph into the main event, as an impetus towards chaos. According to my sensor contacts, the primate vessels were unloading their nanodrones and putting them into a giant clump. All it took was a contribution of about a hundred microscopic robots from each of the 10,000-odd ships to cook up a monstrosity. The swarm looked like a dust storm in the void, a primordial-looking blob that challenged all notions of size and scale. 
There wasn't a crew in the galaxy that was trained for a million tiny dots descending upon them as one. This tactic had the downside of making it possible to target the nanodrones with conventional weapons. The Oxal and Gaussians wasted no time lobbing plasma, bullets, missiles, and anything else they had in stock at our distraction. Well, uh, they certainly seem distracted, I commented. The wicked grin hadn't left Tyler's face. It hasn't even started raining nanodrones over the bicarter yet. We'll have enough striking their owls at once to rack up some kills. The Dirtians' herd formation wasn't attracting much fire, allowing them to move forward with their group attack. Terran manned vessels pressed ahead alongside the avians, but kept our distance from their single cluster. Our plasma guns were charged, and Captain Monaghan was waiting only to draw within range to give the order to fire. The Colchians at Arxa were preoccupied with the tiny specks zipping towards them. The nanodrones could gather significant velocity in a short time frame, due to their insignificant mass. Our foes couldn't cut down enough of the swarm, and there were mere seconds until impact. Every time I think the humans are normal people, and don't have any particular propensity to evilness, they conjure up something like this. Something that nobody else in the galaxy has ever heard of, or even thought of. I trusted humanity to utilize their creations for good, but I was suddenly very grateful for that empathy which might drive a wedge between us and the dirty and shield. This latest plot exemplified how dangerous they were when their hunting prowess was allowed to flourish. Shivers ran down my spine as nanodrones struck home in quantities that defied imagination. An assortment of holes blossomed in enemy vessels along their entire length, with our robots hammering drive compartments through brute force. Explosions besieged the Colchian Arxal line, as shielding and plating were both helpless against an attack on this magnitude. While the nanodrones were continuing to pulp them from all sides, encircling and swallowing the enemy's hull, we took the opportunity to deploy shield-breaking missiles. This softened the defenders up even further for the Dirtian shield, whose herd moseyed ahead to mob small segments of remaining hostiles. Humanity targeted foes away from our allies' line of sight, picking off any dazed opponents with plasma. The numbers of Carter's garrison had taken a significant hit from the nanodrone swarm, and a second wave of attack was on them without a moment given for recovery. It was a brutal trouncing, even as they tried to fight back in desperation. The panic amongst the enemy formation wasn't just in the prey-crewed Commonwealth vessels. Even the Dominion's order had disintegrated, with a million mites of dust pummeling their craft. The Colchians and the Oxal didn't team up with each other well to begin with, so the result was predictable. We were facing isolated survivors, hurling munitions at us and the Dirtian in a blind frenzy. The shield sustained several hits due to their strategy of flocking together, which had made them an unmissable target. That persuaded the hostiles to concentrate munitions on the herd rather than us. The nanodrone swarm inflicted a catastrophic amount of casualties, Anzo remarked. Formation outside of Kato is dwindling rapidly, down to a few thousand. The enemy appears to be targeting the shield primarily, by virtue of taking out as many ships as possible. The Dirtian could mitigate their losses, except some vessels seemed disinterested in targeting the lost enemies. Tyler pointed to a Dirtian breakaway sect on the viewport, and his skull intensified as the Yotl zoomed in on the movement. Shit! They're moving towards the planet! I don't exactly see how any new hostiles coming from from the surface. Terran manned vessels zipped closer to expedite the cleanup of the last few hostiles, but our sensor station was entranced by the Dirtian's erratic behavior. 
Homogeneity ships had made a beeline towards Carter, breaching orbital range with as much speed as they could. I flinched as their plasma guns revved to life, cutting down a lone evacuation transport. It made sense that the caution stayed put, since they assumed humanity would ignore the colony in favor of Arthur. However, from what I'd guessed the avians' wishes to be, that was a grave error in judgment. Gasps of horror sounded out from the predators across the bridge as the dirty and unloaded antimatter bombs without hesitation. Where there otherwise would have been a celebration as we cut down the lost enemy ships in the area, there was instead a somber silence. The wait for the inevitable felt both long and short as warheads hurtled towards each settlement on the colony. Orange flashes popped atop the surface's beacons of artificial light, though when the radiance died down, Carter's electrical glow did not return. The importance of the colony clearly hadn't mattered to the shield, as much as the fact that there were any Colchians living down there. The dirty and homogeneity had broken off for a hot-headed action of their choosing, not even waiting to secure orbital victory to move in on bombing the civilians. The avians had snuffed out every settlement they could spot on Carter. If that didn't make their intentions for offer clear, I didn't know what would. Our plans were also set in stone pledging to displace the Commonwealth government by bringing their homeworld under control, alive. My crewmates had stated that we needed the S.H.I.E.L.D.'s numbers and couldn't afford to clash with them due to our conflicting ideas of justice. Where each side stood and what was at stake was unambiguous as a result of the Battle of Carter. The question was what humanity would do about the murderous atrocity their allies had just committed. End of chapter Chapter 165 Memory Transcription Subject Ambassador Tava of the Venal Republic Date Standardized Human Time March 24, 2137 The first meeting of the Sapien Coalition was in the past, but now more than ever my sights were set on the future. Humanity's assortment of allies had been very receptive to the idea of fixing the Venal's hindrances, since, in our case, it had nothing to do with us not being herbivores. It was about us not being meek, deformed herbivores that followed the Federation's guidelines. Noah and I returned to Skalga with a new lease on life. A week from today's date, I was set to be the first Vendel to have my gene tampering reversed. It would be televised through the press conference, which Governor Valn insisted on being part of for optics. My summons to the Governor's mansion had mainly been to brief our leader on what happened during the convention but Valn saved the topic of today's referendum for last. Valn flicked his ears placidly. Thank you both for coming to fill me in. I made sure to expedite the planet-wide vote on the planet's name, as promised. I'll abide by the results, regardless of my distaste for Skulga. I'd also preferred not to keep Venel Prime around, so the options were Skulga versus other or stay the same. It'll be wonderful to shed another part of the Federation's influence. That was our point of mutual agreement, I replied. I was planning on submitting my vote online as soon as we were done here. Don't worry, I won't keep you long. Noah, I can see your feet blatantly pointed towards the door, a sign of where you wish to be? The astronaut grimaced. Uh, do I have to answer that? No. But may I remind you, I didn't ask you to come. When Tava brought you, I let you tag along as a sign of goodwill towards your people. I'd say that I'd prefer to talk to my SC ambassador without a foreign government's agent in the room, but I imagine she'll tell you everything anyway. For your information, I can keep my work separate, especially when villainal interests are involved, I hissed. 
Noah wouldn't say anything that wasn't meant for you and ears, though. He's honorable. A dark emotion flickered in Valen's pupils, and he hesitated. I must ask, uh, how in the stars did you keep the humans at bay, Tava? Insight would be accepted from Noah at this point. They have uh, ways of being persuasive, by coercing people to do what they want, trapping you with your own words, finding every loophole and technicality in the law. Is that why you went along with everything they said? Was I wrong about your motives? And, uh, that doesn't sound anything like Terrence. Oh, that sounds everything like us, love. Noah growled, a low chuckle rumbling in his throat. <laughs> our diplomats are quite skilled at uh, protecting our interests. I understand what you're capable of and what you uh, can do in threatened, but contrary to what Valm thinks, we disagreed on plenty. I never felt pressured to do anything I didn't want to. Because you care about us, and we care about you. Everyone at the UN knew you had humanity's back, so we had yours. We knew you wanted what was best for us, for Vendel, and for the entire galaxy. That was the one issue we had to agree on. It's really that simple. Valn, over there, wants to play hardball and trade favors, so he's asking for an entirely different relationship between us. The governor narrowed his eyes. I'm trying not to ice humanity out. Vendel are my top priority, but I don't mean any act of harm to you. If you watch out for Vendel first, then the UN will elevate human interests above yours. Tava considered us as much as Venor, just as we considered you in the same level as us. It's up to you what relationship you want with Earthval. But the way you're operating now won't merit true brotherhood. We are fiercely loyal, but we are also give what we get. I think you know that's fair. What I know is that I want us to be independent, and I don't want anything dictated to us from outside our borders. It's not personal, it's just business. I stood from my chair, grabbing Noah's hand. It was always personal to me and them. Humans are sweet, but they're not pushovers. What you told them was what you didn't want your talks to be personal, so they've taken emotion out of their decisions. It is just business now. I don't see the issue. The problem is that tactics are downright predatory. Dava, they're ruthless and manipulative. Then you're perfect for each other. And Val, don't ask my advice unless you want to know how to start treating the Terrans as friends again. Like I said, their welfare is personal to me. Let's go, Noah. My human was trying not to laugh at the outrage looked on the governor's face. I suppose it could be viewed as an audacity that I'd spoken to Vuln in that manner. But ousting me as ambassador would sour his political points. There was some curiosity in my mind about what humanity had done that the shifty Venel found predatory. Still, there was enough to know that the United Nations was well equipped to handle his self-centered schemes. I had noticed some major modifications on the visor law released to the public. My mind also harkened back to how Elias Mayer had warned me about certain elements in his own government being snakes in the grass, which Noah agreed with. Governor Valen invited out a side of humanity that has been keeping away from us. With legislation being targeted at their species, it's self-defense. Noah allowed himself to smoke once we reached our vehicle. It was funny. But I'd advise not antagonizing Valen going forward. You're not going to be able to get any favors from him if you make an enemy of him. You haven't exactly welcomed Valen with open arms, and you made sure that he knew that you can't stand him, I protested. I was never that forthright, Tava. You basically called him predatory. I'm pretty sure that's the worst insult in your culture. Only after Valen used it against humanity. That Valen should not think of himself about that. 
I know, but I know how important it is to you to have breathing room with your sapient coalition. You don't want Valen to put you on a short leash. Uh, uh, forgive the predatory Meredith, Paul. I flicked my ears in acknowledgement, digesting his point. Governor Valen had been willing to take some of my ideas under advisement, and he'd thrown his full support behind certain initiatives that mattered to me. The gene edit reversal and the Skalgar referendum were genuine positives that had sprouted from his rule. Well, there was little to gain from turning my successor into an enemy. Noah watched with curious eyes as I pulled out my holopad, eager to see our voting process in action. I completed the double retinal scan, authenticated my conscious decision to vote through the code sent to my email, and scanned my ID card in front of the camera. The two options, Skalga and Other Slash Stay the Same, showed as buttons in large font. I tapped Skalga, clicked the checkbox to confirm my choice, and submitted the ballot after pressing yes when asked if I intended to pass along the results. Noah smiled as I snuggled up to him before prying the holopad from my grasp. The predator searched up the exit poles and his teeth splashed vibrantly as he turned the screen around to face me. Overwhelming public sentiment was in favor of retaking our ancestral name, with over 75% of those surveyed being Skalgar supporters. Valen's attempt to dissuade the populace from bringing back the name the Federation stole from us failed, though it wasn't a certain guarantee. It gave me an assurance that one of my initiatives had been taken to heart. Our child is going to grow up in Skalka, able to run, jump, and smell. They'll be free of the instincts that have held us back to, if I had my way. Noah's eyes fluttered over to me. What do you say before SE meeting next week? We finally take that vacation to Earth. We haven't been able to go through with it for so long. I'd love to see where you grew up. After all, I want to make sure our child is familiar with Earth. We'll be spending plenty of time on human soil as a family, I purred. You're really excited about that, uh, step, aren't you? I've been thinking about it too. Settling down, having kids just wasn't ever in the cards for me. Exploring the universe was my calling, and that ruled out what might have been. The fact that we found extraterrestrials. It was like reaching the finish line of a race that I thought I'd just started. It was just a culmination of my dreams. If you're not excited about the idea of children, Noah, you don't have to pretend for me. It's okay. Your feelings are important, too. And I don't want you to be unhappy in silence out of kindness. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm just explaining that it is the first time that I thought about this, and I have no idea what to do raising a kid. A kid from a different species, no less. You, meanwhile, have experience with parenting and have ideas about how you want to raise the little fella. I'm not sure I could contribute or be as prepared for it as you. It's a huge responsibility, and the more I think about it, the more I know it. You're overwhelmed by the prospect? Well, yeah. I had an amazing dad, and I want to be just like him. I'm not worried that I have the wrong temperament or anything, but I don't want to undersell the work and commitment it'll take from both of us. The fact that it'll be a massive undertaking, as is, it's why I'm worried to suggest the idea that I can't get out of my head. Breathe. We're going to figure out what's best for us both, and it'll be okay. Uh, what's your idea? It might be too much to ask, uh, and I don't want to spoil your vision. Noah, I sprung on you that I'm getting experimental gene mods and looking to have kids with zero warning. I think we've already crossed the too much to ask. The human's hands were trembling from nerves, and I gently coiled my tail around his wrist to calm him down. Our conversation back in the Sapling Coalition meeting had been harrowing from my side, 
So, if Noah was addressing a topic that of that magnitude for our personal lives, I could understand his apprehension. He was worried about putting our relationship on the rocks or scaring me off. I gently cupped his chin with my paw, giving him my best look of affection. Whatever change he felt compelled to suggest to our plans, I was willing to listen. Both of us were from different cultures and lives, so we could handle opinion schisms in a mature way. Maybe Noah's not ready for the responsibility quite yet. He sounds stressed. We're not getting younger, but I could wait a few years if it'll make it more palatable for him to ease into. I want to do this together. The astronaut drew a shaky breath. Um, obviously, I'm not capable of giving birth, but uh, what if we adopted a human child? Oh, my voice came out flat as I tried to keep my emotions from spilling over. The thought of splitting up with Noah cut me like a knife, but a difference in interests that severe would be difficult to overcome. I uh, understand if raising a vandal is not right for you, but the entire reason I wanted this was about having a child that can live a life I will never have. I can't give that up, even for you. Uh, no, I'm not, not saying not to have a venal child at all. I, I'm sorry for being unclear. I'm talking about raising a human child alongside the little fluff ball. Raising them together, it's an added responsibility, I know, but I found the idea really uh, beautiful. A family that bridges the species gap. It was my turn to be taken off guard by Noah's suggestion towards our plans. Though I didn't feel averse to the idea, I could imagine a little primate with tiny Vendel running around in the park, laughing as one big family. Of course, I had no idea what was needed to raise a human, but I suppose that put me in the same boat as my partner. He was clueless what went into rearing one of my species' younglings. Having helpless sapiens that were dependent on us to survive would mean that we could learn about the other's kind at a fundamental level. Calling a predator my own child, caring and loving for them, just as my astronaut would love the Venel, felt right. It was a daunting challenge for both of us, yet I couldn't agree with the heartwarming idea fast enough. That sounds like a wonderful idea, Noah, I replied. Raising a human and Vendel alongside each other, as siblings, I'll love our little Earthborner. I don't think I can call them a goober. Uh, you can suggest an adorable nickname? The Darren's pearly fangs showed with a radiant smile. You can call them a goober, but why go for that when you can say our little vicious predator? Ah, yes. Humanity, the vicious species, whose first contact with the Zerillians was the visiting ambassador curling up on a human diplomat's shoe. A human diplomat's vicious shoe. How can a shoe be vicious? I'm sure the Federation would drum up some evil intentions we have with our foot coverings. Obviously, we use it to harden our feet to kick prey animals, like this. Noah lightly batted his shoe against my ankle, amusement dancing in his eyes. Wait, I actually heard a story back at the embassy about someone throwing a shoe at a receptionist to distract security at the UN base, sir. I don't know how true that was. You could have stopped the first part, but you just had to correct your words, don't you? Accuracy is important. Science doesn't mess around with truth, my love. I wouldn't want anyone to say I omit unflattering aspects of the truth. I value my integrity. I value your integrity and everything else about you, Noah Williams. You're the person who completes me, who gets me, and makes me feel like I'm free to be happy again. I'm so glad the universe crossed our paths. I love you with all my heart. The human's binocular eyes fixed on me with an intense focus. I love you too, now, forever and always. I'll love you to the heat death of the universe. 
I rested my head against the predator's sturdy chest, exhaling with contentment. All I'd hoped for in recent months was a peaceful future between us and humanity. While I couldn't work as fervently towards that on the political stage, events in my personal life could align towards that sincere goal. My passion could also be devoted to returning the Venel to our roots and finding out what we were without the Federation. The referendum looked like a lock to return our name to Skulga, which meant the public was on the same page. Maybe after Noah and I paved the way for the post-gene reversal life, others would follow. For the first time since my daughter's death, I felt the best days of my personal life were ahead. Humanity's arrival was what gave me the chance to have a family again, freeing me from my ignorance and opening new doors into the future. I was grateful to have a partner who'd invested himself in my dreams and morphed them into a joint effort that could give us a unique, wonderful opportunity. There was no telling what came next for us, but I was excited to see where the journey would lead. End of chapter. Chapter 166. Memory transcription subject, Onzo, Yodel Technical Specialist. Date, standardized human time, March 24th, 2137. After my wishing for the Colchians to face deep retribution for everything they'd done to Lian, it turned out that there was no need to prompt humanity to begin bombing. The Dirty and Shield had been eager to obliterate anything housing life on Carter's surface. Watching the settlement vanish beneath a fiery glow, visible from space, did nothing to temper my rage. It didn't give me back my 20 years of existence spent in a neurochemical haze. Because I had predator disease, the Terran seemed no more pleased than I was, and Sovlin's face showed a mixture of horror and concern. Chewing on his reaction for a few seconds, I believe the old Gojid was worried about how the humans would respond to the Dirtian's bombing endeavor. Tyler had spelled out the UN's intentions to end the cycle of violence, and not to become like other murderous factions in our neck of the galaxy. I respected the Terrans enough to heed their direction without the Earthlings' arrival. Learn would still be overrun by Federation colonizers today. In my heart, it felt like the Colchians needed to pay for the millions, billions of lives they genocided through their tenure. Yet the coldness gripped me as I realized how easy it was to kill an entire populace. This is what it means to wipe the feds out once and for all. The reality I'd wished I could bring about. When Tyler said I think life means something, he wasn't wrong. This feels no better than watching them all they did to us. The Dirtian ships veered away from the surface, knowing the life-facilitating habitats weren't able to withstand a dose of antimatter. As if never gone astray, the birds rejoined the Terran and Sapien Coalition forces in cleaning up the lost Colchians in the system. I forwarded a final target for us to pick off in the fog, still reading from the suddenness of the bombing. My concerns regarding the Dirtian had been about how effective they'd be in the thick of combat, but now... I was worried about how much they'd lash out due to their cornered animal mentality. It wasn't out of the question that they'd turn their guns on us within their age. Not dissimilar to how the years of bottled anger led me to behave in explosive fashion at times. The humans needed to handle the situation delicately. I wasn't sure how the primates might go about getting us and the Dirtian on the same page. As the last act of foes by Carter were picked off, the Terrans decided it was appropriate time to break our silence. I could see a brief discussion between our officers as the rest of the crew moved ahead with battle plans as though nothing was wrong. Navigation pulled us closer to the herd-like cluster of shield and coalition vessels and synced us with their vector towards Alpha itself, the prize of the system. 
Captain Monaghan, stewed by his station, scowling at the viewport. Hail the dirty and shield yesterday. They're not going to launch an orbital raid over Arthur, especially not with our boots on the ground. Uh, if I may, sir, I began, swiveling my ears towards Tyler. The Sapient Coalition doesn't seem to have any objections over what the Dirtian did to Kato. Your allies, uh, won't challenge you, but they think that bombing was justified. The blonde human pursed his lips. We know they're angry about the entire lives and societies being a lie. I know that you're angry about them stomping out the Yotal spirit for decades. But those people had nothing to do with that, and that's the damn straight fact. I know, it kind of hit me. That everyone down there was just dead in an instant, even if the Colchians deserve it. It's terrifying to be the arbiters of which civilization live and which ones die. Humans don't want to set that precedent of who you choose not to save. When you stop believing your enemies are people, that's what opens doors to monstrous acts, Carlos agreed. Humanity is making a conscious choice to care about all life, even when it feels impossible to do so. Samantha started. Oh, life. I don't see how we ever fix this authoritarian clusterfuck. Besides, I have as much sympathy for Carter as they did for Melbourne, which is zero. But since we saved their asses, the dirty and have no right to show up, circumvent our wishes, and give us the runaround. Well, they did, Sovlin grumbled. Hans, the activist is right. Your allies agreed with them, not you. And infighting would feck us over. Tread carefully with that rebuke. Tyler's heaved a weary sigh. Not my department. My job is to make sure whatever goes down, we keep an eye on it. We'll see what the captain says and provide support accordingly. Monaghan's hail had gone unanswered for several minutes, a sign that the Durgin weren't eager to give humanity an account for their actions. I tried not to fixate on the outstanding call. Even if tensions erupted within our own ranks, it would still be vital for me to have full picture of what was happening throughout the system. My gaze faltered down to the sensor screen, where I could gauge the success of our other group. Yotal technocracy ships and UN drones had kept pace with Ilthus, gunning into the asteroid belt. The Shadow Fleet had taken up positions there to utilize terrain to their advantage, and it seemed our Oxal allies had reenacted their reckless strategy from the gas giant. The Chief Hunter sacrificed thousands of his ships again and a headlong charge. The particle beam armed ships accompanying him were the ones who had the Commonwealth's number. The Oxal reinforcements were still afloat with about 15,000 ships, while the technocracy and UN top artillery were reigning supreme in this conflict. My team engaging the Colchian second-rate ships here allowed our heavy hitters to demolish their secret arsenal without distractions. When our forces joined up to stop Arthur, we'd make it a grueling challenge for the Federation to defend their core world. The enemy hadn't whittled us down along the way as much as they had hoped. The only thing that could affect us up is if we get into it with the Dirtians. Right before the final stage, we need unity, so I hope Monaghan will be pragmatic. That's assuming the shield answer. After several minutes of waiting, the same Dirtian commander from earlier appeared. What is it you want, human? You said that we can choose our role, and we choose what we came here for. Do you have a problem? Easy. I wish to coordinate our plans for taking Arthur, without using an intermediary. We're not enemies, so we need to be on the same page, Monaghan said. For a predator, you show zero appreciation for a display of violence. Your SE friends tell me we're not on the same page at all. And also, you let us take charge at Kato. Yes, to bump us when we get into the main event. Nice try. 
Doting Commander, this isn't a contest. This is about the fate of both of our people, and for that matter, all intelligent life in a thousand light-year radius. I heard what you said about being angry and coming here to dish out violence. I assure you that humanity understands, appreciates, and empathizes with your feelings. We know you're hurting, but I know we both agree that we have to win this battle. Us being divided or miscommunicating could spell disaster for our chances. We are not divided unless you tried to stop us from finishing the job. If you truly grasped how we feel about the billions of our own lying dead, there would be nothing to talk about. Don't pretend that you aren't about to plead for us not to bomb those soulless bastards. I am pleading for you to stay your explosives long enough for us to have a mutual discussion on what to do with Arthur. And, most importantly, for humanity to head to the surface and gather information to ensure the Colchians become a non-factor in the galaxy. Please, listen to my next words. We know very little about the Shadow Cast. We want to know their motives for starting this entire cycle of hatred, so we can have a closure for Earth. If you're truly grateful for our help in saving Kalkwa, you'll let us have that. The Dirtians speak parted in confusion. You go to all the trouble of landing, risking human lives and merely delaying what the, we plan to do for information on why they did it. It is beyond the why. The practical reason is one I think you'll agree with. Our lack of information on the Shadow Cast means that we have no idea where they hid. It could be another planet far off, perhaps even in a system belonging to you or one of your allies. It could be under the very oceans of Arthur, like the archives were. If we don't find out the truth, those bombs could miss the people who are undeniably responsible for what was done to you. We succeed by doing this by the book and without letting our emotions cloud our judgment. Trust us to be predators and hunt every Caution's conspirator down. You will share your findings with us and not omit anything for your own purposes. We are not the ones who hide our true intentions. I see no reason that we can't work in harmony to dig up any other dirty secrets the Caution's might have that will threaten us all. What do you say? The Grey Avian was silent for a long, brooding seconds. Assuming that you can get unequivocal command of Alpha, I'll have my fleet hold their fire. If things go astray, or it looks like we might be losing the fight, we're glassing as many cities on that blighted rock as we can. Then, let's make sure that we win, Monaghan declared. Take care of yourself, Commander. I uh, hope this is the start of a better relationship between our two species, and I hope that you can find peace someday. <laughs> I hope that you find closure for what you're looking for, human. Good luck. The dirging Commander vanished from the screen, and our captain's face lit up with visible relief. Persuading the shield to let us land brought us some time without worrying about the first bombs landing as our soldiers touched down. On a personal level, it allowed Tyler and I to accomplish the mission that brought us away from our easy assignments in the first place, finding out what the Colchians had done to Slinek. Perhaps that mystery would overlap with the broad answers the United Nations were seeking out. Even when I felt certain that Arthur's glassing was the optimal outcome, I'd wanted to help my best friend first. With a temporary solution to our internal disagreements that eliminated one hurdle to taking the Colchian homeworld, I tried to wipe what happened to Cardo out of my mind and focus on what was ahead of us. The entirety of the Terran's efforts since first contact led us to this moment. The Dirtian Shield and the Sapien Coalition fanned out while we maneuvered to the heart of the formation. Meanwhile, Yodel Tectocracy, Terran drones, and Arxel allies took up angles from opposite headings our collection of ships was forming a net that's encircled Alpha, merging into a cohesive unit that had swallowed the planet's defenses from all sides. 
I pivoted our viewpoint onto a luscious world, a series of faint violets and greens dotting the continents from native vegetation. City lights were more prolific on Arthur's form than the electric glimmers on Carter, while the oceans were unbroken swaths of blue. I couldn't rule out the possibility that the Shadow Fleet planted its cities beneath the waves, where no one would ever look. The Colchian's Ectolan ancestors had aquatic origins, and, as the Thafki proved, species who were drawn to the water never truly lost that itch. Whatever secrets were hiding down there, we needed to steamroll the hundreds of thousands of Commonwealth ships above it to find them. Now was not the time for any missteps. Tyler cleared his throat. You see the planetary defenses on the lunar satellite. Those are going to prevent us from getting close enough to Alpha for a landing or an airdrop. Then they're going to be a massive problem for our ships. It'll be a bloodbath to get a clean angle to take them all out from above. Cause they got a feck ton of outposts. We understand from the crew briefing, I replied. Secretary General Zhao's drawn comparisons to Normandy on an amphibious assault where... According to my research, one coalition stormed the desired target's beaches to take them over. We want to overrun the Coltrane's planetary defenses and claim them for ourselves. Yes, precisely. If we can turn their own powerful lasers and ground-based artillery on the Shadow Fleet, it'll give us a massive boost. As an officer of the ship, I have no intention of volunteering for this mission. Infantry and the security personnel have been assigned from our vessel, and many others. But if anyone does feel like their skill set fits the job like this, I'm giving you the opportunity to join the landing party in the hangar bay. Feck no, sir. I'm staying with you. Good. After the boarding incident, you're sticking with me whether you want it or not. That prompt was mainly directed at Harris and Romero. Samantha narrowed her eyes. What, because we're foot soldiers who's got stuck being Baldi's watchdogs? Pretty sure that's why Officer Cadona asked us. We stormed the archives and that Oxal cattleship. And we're the most qualified ones at the station, Carlos sighed. Qualified ones to pad the cannon fodder, also able to shoot a gun and clear a building, unlike the Feddies. You know what? Beckett, I'm in. Might be the only place in the damn UN lets me shoot those Colchian dickwads. You're truly eloquent, Sam. Away with words. Now I'm gonna get the job done. I don't hear you volunteering to leave this cozy ship. I'm in if you are. You're absolute psycho. Let's grab our gear and head out to the hangar. Sovlin swatted Carlos with the blunt side of his claws. Wait for me. None of you even asked me. After the three of us have been through several gunfights together. Whoa, I'm not sure that's a good idea. Tyler protested. Are you sure? It involves a space drop. You know, jumping out of the ship. Also a jump where you'll be far back enough to need to use jet thrusters till you're within lunar gravity range. What? You want to pull that crazy shit that you did on the cradle, but from space... And while dropping military rovers too. I'm glad that you're getting the picture. So, let's skip to the part where Baldy wimps out and says a tearful goodbye, Samantha interjected. Fuck you. I don't like the idea at all, but if you can do it, so can I. The Gojit's remaining spines bristled, tipping off his fear. Who flew the shuttle down to Silas, pushing it hurriedly close to its breaking point? Yeah, but you also freaked out when the aerosub started sinking on Tulsk. That was water. I don't know if you know this, Sam, but that's different from land. There is no water on the stupid hunk of rock there. As long as you're not crashing this moon into a planet, we're good. Tyler hesitated. You are qualified infantry, but aliens just don't have the training for orbital drops. However, if you want to hurl yourself into a line of fire, I won't stand in your way. Tag along with Harris and Romero, if you're sure. Sure as can be. They're not getting rid of me. 
<sighs> Great. Still stuck babysitting a war criminal with spikes that could poke my eyes out, Sam lamented, though I caught a teasing lilt in her voice. That's right, my remaining spikes could poke your ugly ass eyes out, so you better be nicer. Let's move. The trio vacated the bridge, leaving Tyler and I to man the sensor station during the crucial battle. When I proved myself more than capable of supplying tactical insight in Sovereign's absence, it would be difficult for the Goja to use racist pejoratives towards my capabilities. I centered the viewport on the Colchian and Dominion ships between us and the lunar satellite, while also setting my filters to watch for any planetary defense lasers vectoring towards us. Our goal was to get the infantry that would be storming the enemy fortifications as close to the target as possible. It was also preferable that they didn't deploy right in the middle of a plasma beam contest. I ran a hasty analysis on the makeup of the first ships that we'd be facing. Pinpointing enemy weaknesses required knowledge of what we were up against. The Shadow Fleet had staked a massive claim within Offer's bounds. While the Dominion also had camped eye-popping numbers by the target, it was a little surprising that the Arxor captains had been dissuaded from dropping their few bombs on the Corsians, with their cruelty-centric culture. Furthermore, of the hundreds of thousands of craft here for the final stand, very few were manned Commonwealth vessels. Most of the public military appeared to have been sacrificed along the route. Among the other base ships marked as hostiles, very few appear to be manned, sir, I informed Tyler. I will just bring your attention to the contacts designated civilian, standard evac transports, out ahead of the front lines, and the only ones manned ships that I can see. The human nodded. How many souls on board? Hundreds. No sign of weapons on board or anything anomalous. They are flying straight towards us, but we are also blocking all the ways out of the system. Assuming you don't want them blown up, you might want to direct the dirty and away from their flight path. Understood. I do wonder why they didn't evacuate civilians sooner. They've known that we're coming for weeks. Sure, they're arrogant, but there had to have been some civvies who wanted to get out when they heard that the flesh-eating predators were coming. I tilted my head in befuddlement. Um... I do think some of the populace would have wanted to leave with advance warning. The only thing I can come up with is they didn't tell them ahead of time. That's, uh, a reason. The squids sure do like keeping their control and not giving people an option to leave. Could be a part of arrogance and part tyranny. I don't know, but we ain't gonna shoot at evac shuttles. The Dirtian might want to. It was done to their civilians trying to leave Kalqua. They only agreed to spare Arthur so humanity could eradicate the Shadow Cast. I heard you, Anzo. Plus... I get those feckers might want to send evac ships up now, so we have to fight around the civvies to get the military targets. I'll notify the captain, and we'll put our SC pals to quietly push the shield as far away from those transports as possible. Okay, I'll keep an eye on their path so weapons knows that they're where they are. The blonde officer strode off to confer with Captain Monahan while I mulled over the circumstances of the battlefield. Within the hour, we'd be squaring off our first engagement near Arthur. The civilian ships were an unwelcome variable, and the Terrans were too honorable to take them out of the equation. It was important to determine why the evac shuttles had been held back until now, before they complicated a testing battle even further. The humans hadn't expected the Colchians to fight clean, so it was possible the hostiles meant to sacrifice their own non-combatants or use them as living shields. Solidifying our understanding of Arthur's motives for this launch timing could be necessary to stave off any dirty tricks that they had in mind. I hoped humanity wouldn't be forced to make the decision between innocence and victory, but I knew they were willing to do whatever it took to end the war. End of chapter. 
chapter 167. Memory transcription subject, Onzo, Yodel Technical Specialist. Date, Standardized Human Time, March 24, 2137. Malfleet crested towards the waiting enemies, with the greatest tools and allies mankind had been able to assemble. As impressive as Earth's wartime innovations had been, it was their relentless pursuit of friends that we'd reaped the most rewards from so far. Having others to back us up made it possible to challenge a multitude of foes. The road to reach Arthur's orbit hadn't been pretty, but war never was beautiful or clean. The Terrans hadn't escaped entirely free from compromising their beliefs or sacrificing lives that they wished they didn't have to. Assuming that we gained orbital control, I wasn't sure about what we'd do about the Dirtian's determination to glass this world. My grim realization was that humanity might have to bend their values again, with the Colchians sending up civilian ships amid the battle. The evacuation shuttles hadn't lowered their thrusters despite the oncoming onslaught. The United Nations hadn't fired on the transports, though we were in range to take first ones out. I could see weapons growing antsy the nearer they got. The Terran Allied fleet ceded a slight opening, altering our path enough to drift out of the way. With thousands of weaponless refugee vehicles coasting ahead, it was difficult to steer clear of all of them. I eyed the sensor readout and noticed them sending power to directional thrusters. The evac shuttles must be trying to sidestep us, sir. But if they are afraid enough of Terrans to leave, why would they trust them to not fire? My head snapped towards Tyler. Get weapons and fire on those shuttles. They're hostiles. Hang on. What evidence do you have of that, Anzo? The human asked, the wary voice. I know you think they deserve to be wiped out, but... The evidence is they're not acting afraid of you. None of them are flinching. My gut instinct says that they're up to no good. The Colchians have been better understanding of what's the truth about us. They might know our code of ethics against shooting civilians. The Shadow Cast knows, but the average citizen doesn't. That means that the Secret Fleet must be piloting those shuttles. It's only thing that explains their behavior. Sensors would know if they'd be hiding weapons, so that... No. My God! Captain Monaghan frowned, having overheard our exchange. That's a bold assumption, but it has a ring of truth to it. Weapons. Patch us in with our allies. Advise them to hold their fire, but shoot any transports that draw too close. As comms fired off a hasty communique, I passed along the nearest shuttle for weapons to target. The speediest Colchian transport swerved at a UN drone. The automated vessel was programmed not to shoot the civilian targets without authorization to clear hostile activity. When the evac ship rammed into the unpiloted vehicle at full speed, it smoked through its hull. Both spacecraft were shattered in the collision. Hundreds of life signatures from within the shuttle vanished in an instant, strewn to cosmic dust. On the thousands of ships carrying refugees, similar passenger counts showed on my readout. Given the lack of panic movement from within the interiors, I assumed that they had no idea what their fate was going to be. The civilian vessels turned on the first Terran ships they could encounter, with several hundred crashing before we'd reacted to the unthinkable. I could feel a knot of horror in my stomach as I realized how little the Commonwealth thought of the lives of their own people. While humanity chose to care about all life in the galaxy, the Colchians cared for none. Those civilians had been loaded onto the shuttles without a clue of their fate, with a promise of escaping the system. The Shadow Fleet knew that we wouldn't shoot a genuine transport down, and conned hundreds of thousands of their citizens into climbing aboard to make it believable. They waited to start evacuations until the last minute because they intended to use innocent lives as weapons. How will they ever explain this to their people? How do military commanders, at least the ones from the Republic Fleet, have no gripe with the strategy? 
Captain Monaghan's teeth were bared with contempt. Shoot down every one of those transports and censors from now on. Don't mark any Colshin ships as non-combatants. Understood, ma'am, I replied. Filters to label anything with Colshin warp signature as hostile. If there were any innocents, their government deranged actions had revoked their right to protection. The transports are shown as hostiles now. I've left a new class indicated to reflect their unarmed status, so weapons can fully assess our priorities. Good work, Anzo, Tyler grumbled, through a gaze that was far off, struggling to process such a senseless gambit of civilian lives. You were right. After what they've done to the entire planet, I guess this shouldn't surprise me. This time, it's not just them letting it happen, like they did with the Thafki or the attacks on Nishtal and the Cradle. This is intentionally unknowingly sending civilians to their deaths. How did they sell this to the people outside the conspiracy? If I know one thing about the Federation, it's that they love to blame predators for anything that they have to do. Better dead than cattle. Once they sacrifice a few thousand ships, if it saves a herd. Yet our empathy is what's under the microscope. That's a bad fecking punchline, huh? It's not a punchline if it's not the least bit funny. It ain't funny, but it sure is a joke. We could've had hundreds of friends if the Federation didn't exist. I'd sure like to see what kind of shake we would've gotten. Like, it's a wonderful life, except that it's a good thing they weren't around. Once again, I don't understand a word you're saying. That's how I feel with you and your science words. Forget my movie references, and put that big brain of yours to work. We gotta get Baldy and company within range of the moon. I'm working on it. We're needing to pass through the Shadow Fleet while ahead, slated to mark contact in a few minutes, after we clear out the civilian transports. The human nodded. The eyes on the Dominion's main activities? They're on the offensive, gunning for the shield and SC when they can, since they get off on hunting prey, but I don't think that's our primary concern. It's not. Keep at it, buddy. The Terran warship slides through the remaining transports like Putty. The shuttle's lack of shields or armor allowed them to be downed with relative ease. The Colchian's ghastly trick had taken out a few hundred ships before the first shots rang out. But I knew our true casualties would surface once we engaged in enormous armada. I angled the viewport towards the moon where the planetary defenses sat, which was dulling out carnage with any lasers that landed. It was difficult to imagine Sovlin in a vac suit, traipsing around. The rovers dropping to the ground were the only way he'd keep up with the persistence predator's track. Their mission could entail heavy resistance, so the more we could simplify the landing process, the better. While our manned ships were pigeonholed into closing in on the moon in order to unload infantry, other contests were being waged across the planet's breadth. Flashes of orange and white signifying explosions and plasma, respectively, detonated above the world's entire circumference. Speedy UN drones on this side of Alpha were targeted by the planetary defenses from Alpha. Meanwhile, from the globe's opposite half, missiles blazed into space from the depths of the ocean. It lent credence to the theory that the Colchians had constructions within the abyssal waters. These warheads appeared to be nuclear armed, and their ability to escape the atmosphere and find targets was an impressive feat of engineering. I'm sure they didn't stuff those missiles onto one side of the planet's oceans and not the other. Now stay vigilant for anything at the atmospheric fringes on our side. We don't want to get blindsided by nukes. The Terrans had a better capacity to thwart the ballistic missiles lobbed at singular ships, although such mighty munitions packed a forceful punch even if they stopped short of the target. The Yodel Technocracy also possessed particle beams that could slice through the warhead's arming mechanisms. However, Chief Hunter Ilthus' craft got walloped by an influx of nuclear weapons. 
it was clear the Dominion ships had been ordered to pay no mind to defense. What was fortunate was that the Sapien Coalition and Durgin Shield were kept on our side of the globe, or else they might have fell victim just like Ilthus had. Our Dominion allies were reduced to a small remaining force, cutting off one source of manpower. So, I know I said that it's not our primary concern, but I don't think that we want our herbivorous allies to take a shellacking like Ilthus, I remarked. Can they handle Axel fighting them one-on-one -on -one or uh, two-on-one? Tyler bobbed his shoulders. I doubt it. But we can't worry about that until the planetary defenses are offline. Hopefully the Greys aren't ready for Prey to actually fight back. The Dirtian are out of, for blood, so hopefully that compensates for their lack of tactics. I suppose they're lucky they're fighting Arxor, not Shadowfleet ships. We're the ones who are pitted up against the biggest threat, and the sole path to the moon is through them. The human tapped to mark radius of space. I input the region that we need to get to for troop deployment, per the mission parameters. Worry about finding us the best route and keeping us appraised of any threats. Might be a bumpy ride, you know. Understood. I also know that we want to be as close as possible, so I'll look for anything that helps us gain ground. Our warships were joined by some UN drone support, since our manned vessels were at a disadvantage against caution automatons. The laser on the moon amped up their firing speed, putting an exclusive focus on our newest and strongest craft. Outdated crewed vehicles were neglected altogether. The amount of power that could be funneled through the lunar installment was astounding, similar to how humans moved their nuclear arsenal to Luna. The Commonwealth had stationed some of their high-yield explosives on the natural satellite. That kept them closer to the action in the event of a raid, rather than buried in the ocean. Our flight path wasn't as similar to Calcium's en route to Earth. I wondered if the cautions had taken notes from that clash. It didn't seem that the Shadow Fleet had grasped our intentions, since they were regarding the UN drones as the greatest threat. Our highest concentrations of automatons found shield breakers deposited in their midst, and were tag-teamed by ship weapons and planetary defenses. Banned Terran vessels were able to cruise forward with minimal fire trained on us. Thousands of soldier-toting friendlies sailed towards the arbitrary boundary where our troops could deploy. It was only when we neared the skirmish line that our foes rounded on us and plasma began zipping our way. I could see debris littering the edges of the viewport, a telltale sign of why thousands of our drones had vanished from senses. If our finest vessels are getting mowed down by these planetary defenses, I see why we need to capture the and eliminate the infrastructure. Imagine how the Durgin shield would fare against weapons of this kind. This must be why the Kulshians thought Alpha was impenetrable. Navigations yanked our ship to one side, turning our casual glide into a spiral to avoid plasma. Shields blinked out on my readout, with the Shadow Fleet having ample shield busters in reserve to handle us. I pinpointed a Kulshian automaton for a weapon targeting, but its algorithms were one step ahead of our hastily deployed shot. The beam fell wide by a large margin. Charging ahead against the superior craft wasn't ideal, yet the threshold we needed to reach sat behind these vessels. Our own drones had to break free of the predicament and give us an assist, or we were going to end up in multiple pieces. I could see several man craft flanking us, reduced to tattered husks. I traced a vector towards a marginal opening in their ranks. This is the best opening I can find, but it takes us within their direct line of fire. My suggested strategy would be to set up barriers and hunker down, except that time is of the essence. The Golgians will close the gaps as soon as we make a run for it, won't they? Tyler sighed. Obviously. They don't know our true plans, but they don't want anyone getting in range of the planetary defenses. How? 
Even if we did get past them, we'll have lasers and nukes from that moon thrown in our face. Need to launch the troops and get out fast. Why haven't they used the nukes? Probably going to wait to launch them. In the event that we get past their line, they don't want the Shadow Fleet caught up in the blast radius. Layers of defense. So we need a distraction. We've got a few spacecraft carriers. Time for them to open up their bellies and pester the squids with some fighters. Back where it all began. I twitch my ears. It's a start, but we need more. If we have any antimatter bombs left after the gas giant fight, I think it's time that we use them against the singular ships. It'll punch an opening and give us a moment to break through. We do got some leftover warheads. Don't got any intention of dropping those on Arthur, especially after Monaghan's little chat. So throwing them at the Colchian's face sounds fantabulous to me. I'll bring the captain in the loop. I locked in on the optimal vector for our navigations before offering a second set of targets that needed to be displaced. On the viewport, munitions was past us. Standard combat missiles were locked on Terran ships by the thousands. Weapons were working overtime to strike the explosions down before they reached us. Though one rammed straight into our nose, without shields, it blew off the large chunk of our underbelly. Though, thankfully, it was shy of the hangar where our troops were congregated. We were fortunate the hull integrity held together, and that the fissures in our armor plating were not spreading throughout the vessel. Non-critical hit. Might lessen the power that we can route to the railgun, but it could be much worse. We don't want to get hit by anything else lobbed our way. Tyler gave me a nod as he returned from the captain's station, signaling her approval of my plan. Com sent out the call for fighter support. It was rare to utilize such massive munitions in fleet confrontations, since their design was tailored to targeting sprawling regions from orbit. We prepared to divert all power to thrusters. There would be a single chance to make a break for it, assuming our plan worked. I watched as we bore down on the cautions with some level of concern for our safety. Inertial dampeners were suffering the occasional lapse, pushed to the hardware's limits by our erratic maneuvers. The disadvantage of having biological life on board was that we couldn't take severe evasion action like drones without killing the occupants. I could see the bubble of space nearing on sensors, but despite the strategic advantage, I wasn't going to suggest that we push deeper to give our friends a better launch point. It would already be perilous to get their jetpacks in range at all. Fighters slingshotted out into space from our behemoth carriers, who lurched at the back of the pack. That was step one of the distraction, as nimble UN frames weaved up close and nipped at the Colchian's heels. Our bombing classes were preparing the deployment of antimatter weapons, ready to forcefully vacate the enemy from this patch of space. Humanity was too stubborn to turn back. We were pushing through to the target destination, here and now. Plasma clipped the already damaged part of our ship as our jerky movements failed to skirt a close-range beam entirely. I moved closer to Tyler on instinct, drawing strength from having my buddy at my side. We'd always known that deployment to Arthur was a risk, but standing by him was worth sacrificing the idyllic future that beckoned me on Lian. If those antimatter bombs didn't get out of the Allied base soon, we were going to be lit up like a sacrifice to Rulchi. Kinetics raked across the front of our ship, mauling us even further. Navigation was overloaded with new threats, desperately dipping down and throwing out interceptors. There was no time to get our bearings and counter the inbound munitions, as we felt the ship rattle from impact after impact. Hey, uh, Taylor, I hissed. If this is our last thing I say, I've got three words I picked out. Feck the Federation. The blonde human ruffled my forehead fur, earning his hiss from him, 
Damn straight. But I don't plan on dying none. We gotta rescue Slenek, promised Marcel, onward and upward. My quizzical look intensified as I questioned whether that exclamation was in reference to the hot air balloons. There were worse things to die thinking about than Terran flight devices, and the technical chain of events that led them to the natural development of starships. A lot of people would have sought something more meaningful to dwell on, but I want to go out fantasizing about what I loved. The red dots on the screen indicating threats faded into the background. I waited for the inevitable, even as the primates fought tooth and nail to press ahead. Instead of getting bulldozed by two plasma beams, our warship managed to turn on its axis. We glided between two searing arcs that were meant to ensnare us. My optimism for our prospects lifted ever so slightly as the antimatter bombs began to unload from across our fleet. Hostile drones bulked with the city-leveling munitions incoming, and tried to maneuver out of the way. Their plan was to let each missile sail past, where it would be locked onto nothing and could be disabled at their leisure. However, another wave of human warheads chased them along their evacuation route, forcing them to widen the gap further. A third volley kept them back so that we could pass unassailed, like wild beasts being fended off by a waving torch. The antimatter did connect with a handful of enemy targets, mainly those who lost mobility earlier in the battle. Massive levels of energy were thrown out from the epicenter, and I had to hurriedly account for the plane of shrapnel which was generated in our path. The edge of the launch point was a few seconds out, so Sovlin, Carlos, and Sam could leap to the moon if we got a little further. You had fighters and drones mobilized in a circle around us, standing between the manned vessels and the shutter fleet. They were taking the brunt of the barrage, buying precious seconds, which must have tipped the cautions to our importance. However, it was too late for the Shadow Fleet to stop us from executing our plans. The region where we were cleared to space drop troops flashed green as the sensor dot of our warship poked its nose across the boundary. Without an instant's hesitation, the hangar bay was flung open and human soldiers left from the safety of our vessel to get boots on their lunar ground. End of chapter. Chapter 168. Memory transcription subject, Captain Sovlin, United Nations Fleet Command. Date, standardized human time, March 24th, 2137. The humans had really done it. The deranged predators strapped themselves into multi-layered spacesuits and leapt straight into space. I wasn't sure what compelled my stout legs to follow their lead, when here I was, coasting alongside Carlos and Sam with no way back. The jetpack alongside my oxygen gave me a small push towards the lunar surface. With its flight computer having been programmed with my mass and height differential in mind, my claws wrapped around my rifle, which was tethered to my chest. The last thing I needed was for my weapon to float away. I wasn't fully convinced that we'd survived the stunt. Assuming we did, a single bullet which made it through or around the suit's armor plates would expose us to vacuum. It was absolute lunacy. Though it was made worse by the fact that they'd slingshotted military rovers of massive size and with gigantic guns towards the moon atop thruster stages. It didn't seem possible for it to not break apart when it struck the ground, without a true engine tacked onto it. That was our likeliest fate too. It seemed idyllic floating through space now, but hurtling towards that cratered slate-colored surface would be terrifying. Did humans lack cognizance of falling or of heights? Why had I agreed to go with them, just to prove myself to these should-be predator disease inmates? The good news was the ship sniping lifeforms in the breadth of space was almost as difficult as nailing a nanodrone. 
we were microbes to a Shadow Fleet weapon station that rendered the odds of us getting cooked by plasma low. Low, not zero. I cast a glimpse back at our warship, in time to see it making a hurried retreat from the planetary defenses. You and drones were fighting the Colchians tooth and claw, but the enemies were easily stealing the temporary gap formed by our bombs. There was no telling whether our friends would survive the battle that raged overhead as we careened towards the satellite's pool. The planetary defenses had to be disabled if we wanted the rest of the crew to have a fighting chance. Sam, are you sure this is safe? I asked over the comms link. The human's irate expression was something I could imagine beneath her helmet. Ah, need a diaper change, Sovlin. Thank you. I'd like a realistic idea of our chances. Well, even if you pass out like a scaredy cat, the pack's automated. It calculated the best route with the fuel reserves. We did a small-scale test of the tech on Luna, but it's pretty new. Even if it does orient us in the right direction on an alien world, when our measurements rely on trustworthy as facts-fed science, it's up to you to land on your feet and haul ass. Carlos patched over our helmet link. Thankfully, you'll only have to poof it to the nearest rover. If the trajectory is on point, our ride will be a few hundred feet away. From there, we can get some big guns and a little more padding between us and the stray bullet. You have armed ground vehicles specifically for moons. And for the harsh Terran planets like Cato and Mars, UN has had these bad boys out on Mars, mostly for search and rescue, but also in case of security action was needed. Don't know why they don't use tank treads. Hmm. You can ask Onza if you wanted to know. Ah! I've had that privilege of read all the answers in a book somewhere. I could do that too, Sam snorted. Then why don't you? I'm busy, currently dropping onto a moon with just a jackpack, for example. But I'm not establishing contact with that joke of an engineer until we need to patch ourselves back into the ship. All they need to know is when the planetary defenses are under our control and we need to ride out. UN Command will be in touch with our ground leaders for the whole way through. We only need to phone home once we're off this barren rock. How will the fleet know if we fail? The installation will blow up, Carlos answered in a voice that had too much levity. Giant fireball, base gone, quite visible. I flailed in my spaceship. What? Yep, thought you'd listen to the briefing. Each installation across the lunar surface, including the one we're raiding, has a self-destruct function so that it doesn't fall out of their control. However, it requires authorization keys from two individuals. They'll want the planetary defenses in the space fight as long as possible, so they'll be standing by the receptacle until their base is about to fall. The part I did listen to was the part where we still plan to storm their safe house. Do you warmongering apes like complexes blowing up in your face? We prefer not getting immolated in giant explosions. Thanks for asking, Sam choked. The lunar surface was enhancing in detail, and I could feel gravity playing a hand in my acceleration. The uptick in apparent velocity caused my stomach to churn, which made me desperate for the humans to keep talking as a distraction. My claws wanted to uncurl from the gun. Instinctive panic told me that I was about to die. The predators crossed their arms in front of their chests as they hurtled towards the solid ground. Unfortunately, the more I heard about this plan, the less comforting I found their growling voices. The fact that they knew that the base was prepped to detonate as soon as we got close suggested that this was a suicide mission. What if the humans are sacrificing us to get planetary defenses destroyed? The way the Colchians send civilians to their deaths on the evac shuttles. How can clever predators like my guards not see the scissor death sentence? I'm willing to die for what I've done, but I would have liked to have been told up front. 
I'd still do it so Earth can survive. For that debt, I'll always owe you. But I don't love the idea of getting blown to bits, I hissed. Carlos' sigh was audible within his helmet. As I was saying, the two authorized Colchians will need to stand by to initiate the self-destruct. Makes them the sitting target. Snipers take out one of them and make sure no one else grabs the key. Our job will be to clear the facility and assume control of the command center. Hmm. Uh, you left out the part of the job where we compete for the highest kill count of Colchian arsewipes, Samantha interjected. Oh, and Carlos. Baldi's definitely thinking he should have stayed with Anzo. The yodel was a smart one, sitting in front of the bloody screen. I do hope that nothing happens to that Trishana, I remarked mischievously, checking whether the humans knew that word. That didn't translate her. What's Trishana mean? It's a loving term of affection. Anzo asked to be called that instead of primitive. I don't fucking trust you. I'm being serious. If anything happens to me, tell him Solon was proud to work alongside a bright-eyed Dalshana. Hmm. That almost sounds nice. It is nice, I, I promise. Toshana holds a special place in the Yodel language, especially in Rinsa. Hanzo and you battle-bonded, so it'll mean a lot from you, Sam. Well, uh, consider it. I do respect that wise-ass firecracker. He's all right for... The rest of Samantha's slaughter's compliment eluded my comprehension. My focus was ripped back to my trajectory, once retro-thrusters kicked in to slow my fall. With conversation fading to distract me, I noticed why Boo's power was kicking in. We were close enough to the ground that it was time to tap the brakes. My personal propulsion warred with gravity, yet gravity seemed to be winning. What spikes I had struggled against their bindings underneath the back of my suit. The free-falling sensation wasn't anything that Gojas evolved to withstand, and my head was spinning from the rapidity of it all. Fear throttled my heart without any reprieve, threatening to strip me of my faculties. The lunar surface expanded within my periphery like it was being magnified across a viewport. Craters that looked like tiny divots from afar were becoming gaping basins. A few miles from our landing site, the planetary defense complex was taking on a three-dimensional appearance at last. My brain weighed the commutative stimuli and proclaimed my death was imminent. I couldn't imagine how the Terran troopers who it dropped onto the cradle felt. On a planet with full gravity that well exceeded the moon's attraction, predators were built differently from us. But humans were a fearless breed even amongst hunters. I was certain the Arxel wouldn't tackle such a daunting heights. Does that make me braver than the Greys? That thought almost gives me the willpower to keep my wits. Besides... It's not like I can undo the fact I jumped out of a spacecraft with suicidal primates at this point. Back! I screamed into the comms. Where is the fabric overhang you'd guide from the cradle? Did you crazy insufferable predators forget that? Carlos' chuckle sounded too carefree. <laughs> oh, this is better than normal skydiving. So gentle and tranquil. I'll do this for fun. The adrenaline sovereign. Don't you feel alive? I feel like I want to know where the gliding trough is. We need to slow the fact down. Well, uh, a parachute would be useless. There's no air in space for it to catch on. And, uh, you don't have to be Onzo to understand basic facts, Sam jabbed. I gulped down the oxygen circulating within my suit, leaving myself a mental reminder to purposely have Sam run into my spines if I ever had the option again. Those mind-warped humans had no right to poke fun at how petrifying this was. My body careened through hundreds of feet of altitude in a short span while the boost pack's vibrations chipped in with more insistence. 
It was only when the ground was a skyscraper's length away that it slowed me to a leaf's glide. I floated on a bubble of air, placed down with a gentle touch. My feet pressed onto the lunar surface with less force than if I'd hopped out of bed. The predators touched down without issue as well, slowly lowering to the ground in tiny increments. The perfect calculation of the jetpack's computer was remarkable. I was beyond grateful to have my legs on solid ground. Now, it was time to get moving towards a complex that would be detonated in our face at any moment. Across the surface of the moon, other groups would be storming similar installations without pausing for a spite. Carlos checked the HUD within his helmet, before pointing towards a rover that had plopped down to the moon with elegance. It was awkward to run in my spacesuit under low gravity, especially since the predators could maintain their pace with a light skip. I found extra energy for my legs as a rocket landed just shy of our position. The Colchians had spotted us. It's going to be a long few minutes driving towards the base. Thankfully, I don't think they have a large supply of missiles on hand, but they will be shooting at us the whole way. My lungs and core burned as we neared the rover, though I forced myself to press onward. Samantha ducked behind the wheel of the vehicle while Carlos ushered me into the back compartment. As soon as we were inside, I collapsed from exhaustion. It would take a few minutes to catch my breath. The male guard took a brief look at me before popping open a hatch on the vehicle. The human hoisted himself up behind a machine gun fixed to the top, just enough that his head poked out of the rover. His gloved hands turned the turret in all directions and searched for targets. Samantha finished plugging in the coordinates before turning to face me. Savlin, you're going to be the loader. You see those ammo boxes? Load them onto the main gun and don't feck it up. I pushed myself to my feet and studied the task at paw. Yeah, I can do that. We don't use ground vehicles too often in the Federation. Nothing like these. But I've seen a few during Arxel raids. Uh, won't be a problem. Better not be, or you're walking to the base. The rover was rolling ahead towards the caution installation. And without sound in space, it was impossible to gauge when we were being fired at. I could see Carlos firing off rounds at targets, but I decided to keep to my lane and help him reload. It was the human's role to survey the battlefield and assess hostile activities. Hopefully, the vehicle's armor could absorb kinetics sent off by Colchians who saw us coming. An army of military space rovers dropped from the sky, plowing across the cratered surface. We were impossible to miss. Perhaps it was better that I wasn't relegated to the stressful role of gunner, requiring myself to be exposed to anything sailing through the area. Samantha, as the driver, wasn't content without a view of the action. The rover lacked a windshield like I'd expect from exploration vehicles, but it seemed to have a periscope that she could peer out of. I kept to my dutiful task, refraining from asking questions about our progress. Minutes of sightless transit had me uncertain of how much further we had to press on to our destination. From the way Carlos's legs had tensed up, we were receiving heavier amounts of fire. I knew that meant that we had to be getting close though none of us would exit the vessel until we were at the doorstep. There was no telling whether a UN snipers had been successful in eliminating the self-destruct keyholders. I guess we'll find out by whether the base goes boom as we bust into the command center. Let's not think about that. I'll assume we have control of these stupid lasers, and then my knowledge from defending the cradle might come in handy for how to use them. Carlos continued to dish out bursts of fire while helping Samantha keep an eye out for traps. The two humans communicated information only when it was necessary, otherwise preferring to fixate on our life-or-death circumstances. I was impressed as always by their efficiency and composure under extreme peril. 
the Terran's confidence rubbed off on me a little, despite how insane this mission was. There weren't enough cautions for soldiers defending the base to hold us back, as long as we could absorb the influx of fire a little longer. The rover appeared to have built-in systems that could mess with missiles' homing systems or destroy them in flight. Explosives were the greatest threat to us in transit, and they could be neutralized. The incredible machinations crafted by these predators might be enough to get us to our destination in one piece. I couldn't help but give a satisfied grunt knowing how the tide of space battle might turn if we gained control of the planetary defenses. Such powerful weapons were a nightmare for the UN Armada to deal with, something that could smite our most advanced spacecraft in one hit. Without these installations, the Shadow Fleet would be ill-equipped against our particle beams, nanodrones, and other superior munitions. I decided to break my silence for a quick word of encouragement to Carlos. I wanted to share the triumphant feeling coursing through my veins with a god who'd always given me moral guidance in the highest integrity. The one who believed in a brighter future and tried to understand what drove me from the beginning. However, as my gaze turned to the predator to weigh his demeanor, I saw a sudden spasm pass through his form. His head made a quiet snap backwards in the hatch, and his hand slipped off the turret. The human's legs crumpled underneath his bulky form, as if a rug was yanked from under him. Panic raced through my heart, realizing what had happened. I rushed to his side and kneeled over his downed form. Samantha also whipped around in the driver's seat, yelling Carlos's name through the comms link, to no response. My eyes peered at the bullet hole through the front of the spacesuit helmet, exposing the human to the vacuum and the crimson blood that cracked the edges. Horror took over my conscience as I scrambled for a way to keep the kind-hearted predator alive. End of chapter. I would just like to thank our T5 members, Lord Azrakal, Ambrose Cattell, Quantum Wednesday, Dregzoon WRE, Blueberry Cat, Cam Maxwell, Casper Arnholtz, Bushmaster 177, and Leslie 517. Thank you very much.